All right, let's turn in our Bibles now to Psalm 51. So last week we're at Psalm 19. We have made a big jump now all the way to Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is one of the best. I think I say that every week, and I'm not trying to say that every week. Uh, I think the Word of God is the best wherever you're reading it because it is active and living. So whatever active and living you're focused on seems to be the best. Psalm 51 is one that you need to know. If you don't know it today, then I ask you to pay attention uh, and learn it. Psalm 51 is the psalm known above all the others as the psalm of repentance. Okay? Today we're going to get real with the heart of the matter that we should be a people who hate our sins. We should be a people who not only hate our sins, but know how to deal with our sins. It's real and it's true that we are sinners. We have disobeyed God. We have gone in ways that we should not go. All of us have. Nobody is outside of that. And so instead of making some excuses or explaining it away or saying, well, we all are, nobody's perfect, we want to deal with it. We want to handle it well. And Psalm 51 is the place to go for this. I want to ask you here today, if you've ever sinned and you're aware of it. I don't mean say, yeah, I mean, I'm a sinner just like everybody else. No, I'm asking you today, have you sinned? Have you sinned? Have you felt the weight of the guilt and shame of that? Have you said something before that really hurt someone? Have you lied to hide something before? Have you found yourself in the wrong and had to sit there when you're by yourself or laying your head on the pillow knowing I messed? See, the thing is, and I'm not hoping that some of y'all are going, yeah, I have. The thing is, we all have, if we're honest. And Psalm 51 introduces us to one who we would think wouldn't do that. If we're judging people by their titles and their positions in, in the community and in the culture, we would think these people don't do that. But we're wrong in that thinking. Psalm 51 is about King David, the king of Israel, the best king of God's people, King David. The Bible says that David was a good king. The Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. It was God's Word that said that about David. David was a man after God's own heart. He had a heart for God. But one day, he should have been at war and he was hanging back. And he was hanging out, outside. And he found himself in position to where he could see a lady taking a bath. Her name was Bathsheba. See, part of our problem, y'all, is that we're just in position to sin. David was in position to see her bathing. The rest is history. He went to her. He's king. He can do whatever he wants. He went to her. He slept with her. She got pregnant. To cover it up, he's the king. He had her husband killed, thinking nobody would know. Or we could get away with this. I can just marry her if her husband's dead. 
Do you know who knew the whole story? God. Knew the whole story. Knew David's heart when he was climbing the stairs to get on the roof. Knew David's heart when he first saw her. Knew David's heart when he should have been at war, when he started making excuses of why he wasn't going to go to war. God saw it all. So God sent a man, Nathan, to confront David. Called him out. Told him we know all about it. You've sinned against God. See, if you're here today and you know you've sinned against God but nobody else knows and you think you can keep riding that way, don't. Don't. Do yourself. Do the loved ones around you. Do your church. Do the glory of God so much good. Confess your sins. Psalm 51 is David's response after he is aware of his sinfulness before God. But I don't want to leave it at just sinfulness. His sin before God. Read with me, if you will, Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth and the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. And take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors, transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God. You will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. David was broken here. David was looking himself in the mirror he was standing silent. He was confronted with his sin. So he was dealing with his sin. He was looking it in the eye. He was looking himself in the eye. He was looking God in the eye. And he was dealing with it as one ought. In this passage today, I want to tell you of three people that are impacted by your sin. Three people that are impacted by your sin. The first is you. Your sin is killing you. Your sin will kill you. 
you're here today and you have not dealt with it, you're dying. Dying on the inside. And you're trying as hard as you can to ignore it, avoid it, be okay with it, or forget it. That can't happen. It doesn't work that way. And it's killing you. David begins this psalm feeling that way. Have mercy on me, O God. Mercy is such a good word. It is not getting what you deserve. David is saying, God, don't. Don't deal with me as you ought. God, don't crush me. God, don't strike me. Have mercy on me. Stop the wrath deserved for me. Stop it. Don't send me to hell, God. Have mercy on me. David feels like his sin is ruining his life. Charles Spurgeon says that the sight of mercy is good for eyes that are sore from repentant weeping. The sight of a merciful God is so good to those broken in their sin. But he knows something about God. He says, have mercy on me, God, according to your steadfast love. He knows how God is towards sinners. He has an understanding of this God. He knows what the truth is. He knows what our God is like. Don't you hate it and, have, and feel sorry and have a burdened heart for so many people out there who are wallowing in guilt and shame because they don't know how God deals with love with sinners? My heart breaks as I walk through the Fairdale Fair and see so many people who are struggling and hurting and don't know God and they think that God is not good for them. They think that God can't help them. They think they've messed up too much to come to God. David's not that way. Many people are that way. Not David. David knows that God is a God slow to anger, rich in love, abounding in love, and merciful. So that's where he goes. God, according to your character. God, according to the way that you are. God, do a God thing. God, be godly. God, be the way you are toward me in mercy. And have mercy on me. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. My transgressions, God, he says. My problems, my sins, my hard-heartedness, my strong-headed, stubborn-headedness. God, do something about it the way only you can, he says. David was aware of it. And then in verse 2, he makes the big statement, wash me. This is a sermon in and of itself. Wash me. David's not saying, well, she shouldn't have been bathing out there. David's not saying, well, man, you should have seen her. She was good looking. David's not saying, well, my other wife doesn't ever do anything for me. Kind of lost the feeling for her. She's not as pretty. David's saying, wash me. David's not saying, fix that. David's not saying, I messed up that one time. David's saying, me, me, me. Wash me. Pour the bucket. Bring the blood. Clean me, God. Thoroughly. Inside, outside. God, clean me again. When I change diapers at home, it's, it's, 
you know, sometimes they're messy. When I go wash my hands after that, I'll wash them, lather up with soap, I'll get done, I'll dry my hands off in the towel, and I'll go, that was a bad one, let me do that again. <laughs> thorough, thorough washing of my hands after a poopy diaper. David feels that his heart needs that. God, bring the, bring the Lysol and the Clorox and bring everything you take and break me down. Clean me. And do it again. I need it. Cleanse me from my sin. Wash me. Charles Spurgeon says, listen to this, that the hypocrite is content if his garments be washed. But the true repentant cries out, wash me. I want to ask you here today, if you're wanting your sins to go away, or if you're wanting God to wash your insides. Are you wanting God to clean up your life? Are you wanting God to clean up your heart? There are two different types of people in the world. Those who are concerned more with the outer or those who are concerned more with the inner. Make no mistake about it, in Psalm 51, David doesn't care any longer about the outer. It doesn't matter one bit how clean the outside is. Your shirt tucked in, your belt is tight, your hair is cut, and you know how to walk this life well. But if the inside has not been washed, you are in trouble before God. And David feels it right now. Wash me. Look at verse 3. For I know my transgressions. I know them. I might have just had the friends over. It was a good Saturday night. Been hanging out. A good time at the fair. All of that. But they went home. And there came a time last night where I had to turn the lights off. And I wasn't entertained anymore. Bama lost. I loved it. But it was time to turn off all the entertainment. All the distractions went away. It's just me and my heart last night. When it's you and your heart, do you admit before God, I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me, he says. Folks, our sin impacts us. It's killing us. And we have to be people who are able to say what it is. Every once in a while at home, I'll find myself completely in the wrong. Maybe it's with the kids or maybe it's with my wife. And I'll say, look, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I acted that way. But y'all drive me to it. Is that me or is that them? In my mind. Still them, right? That's not a repentance. David's not blaming anybody else here. This is the passage to show us what real repentance looks like. This is the passage that you and I ought to have with a bookmark. Put your stringer there on your Bible like, like this. Put it right there. 
And every time your heart is convicted and guilty, come back here and read that you would see an example of being broken before God. Read Psalm 51 every day until you have it memorized. So that you know how to come to God and say, God, my problem's me. I know my transgressions. And my sin is ever before me. The first problem, or the first person impacted by our sins is us. If you will not deal with your sins, you cannot be saved. There will be no sin in heaven. None. People who sin, like me or you, can go to heaven because we have confessed it to the Lord and asked Him to forgive us by the blood of Christ. And when Jesus died on the cross, it was a sufficient, effective, just death by the punishment of God to deal with our sins. There is no sin too big or too great. There's no sin too big or too great to be forgiven by God. But it must be repented of. You must say, God, I know that sin in my life. Will You forgive me? God, will You have mercy on me? God, will You blot it out? Will You wash me? first person impacted by our sin is us. The second person impacted by our sin is God. Look at verse 4. Against you, you only have I sinned. Verse 3, I know my sin. I know my sin. I know my transgressions and it's ever before me. Verse 3, He knows His sin. Verse 4, it was against you. Somewhere along the way, church people have gotten to where as long as we say we're sinners or as long as we apologize to those we've sinned against, we are walking in God. That is not repentance according to the Word of God. On our knees, tears in our eyes, pain in our heart, broken before God is repentance. In David's mind, there is a dead man, a hurt woman, and a dead child because of his sin, and a distracted nation of Israel. Okay? He slept with the woman he shouldn't have slept with. He killed her husband. The baby died because of it. And the whole nation of Israel is looking at their king like, what in the world? A lot of drama in the circumstances. You don't need me to preach on that. But verse 4, David says, God, you, only you, God, have I sinned against. I knew what you wanted from me. I know what your standard is. I know that I should not have done this, and I did it. I know that you're abundant, merciful God. I know that you are full of steadfast love, and I did it anyway. I sinned against you. I did what is evil in your sight. David calls his sin evil in God's eyes. This preacher's not calling it evil. Evil in your eyes, God. That's the heart. That's the heart of a convicted sinner. He says, he goes on, he says, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. 
Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Verse 5 of Psalm 51, David is reminding us that his sinful problem has a root to it. David is aware of his sinfulness as so much more than a bad choice. I'm all about us teaching our people to make good decisions and good choices. But if all of the pep talk and inspiration that you could ever give your children or your teams is good choices, good choices, good choices, you're going to have a lot of people dead in their sins, broken under their sins, dying in their sins, and never knowing hope. We need to know that it's a lot more. There's a root to our sinfulness. David knows that he could have chosen not to go and do that sin with Bathsheba, but after it's happened, David knows there's a bigger, deeper problem with him. That the lust of his eyes and the lust of the flesh that 1 John warns us about came off of a heart that he was born with that hates God, that wants to go in any other direction than God. People are born into sin. Because of Adam and Eve's sin, every child ever born from a human is born into sin. And every one of us struggles with it. The struggle looks different. All of us struggle in a different way. And some of y'all have had such good, good parents that you don't struggle in any of the major like outward ways that people look down upon. That doesn't make you any better. You struggle in your heart. David here in verse 5 reminds us where this problem ultimately came from. Here's what David is teaching us today, or rather what the Word of God is teaching us today from King David. That even if you are a king, a man of God after God's own heart, you still have that sinful heart inside of you and you are capable of anything. Anything before God. And that is so scary. We need the mercy of God. We need a closeness with Him. Verse 6 Behold, you delight in truth and the inward being. You teach me wisdom in the secret heart. David knows that the issue is his heart. You're worried about my inner. And again, he knows he's got some major outward problems. A lot of stuff they have to deal with in David's life. But he knows this is a heart problem. Church, people, listen. Know that your sins are a heart problem. Don't think, okay, I've got to stop the porn. Don't think, I've got this foul mouth. I've got to get it cleaned up. You've got to get to the source. What's going on in me? What produces all of this? Deal with the heart. Find the blood of Christ. See the cross of Christ that is the remedy for our sinful hearts and watch it change us. But only if we go to the source. Our sinful problem against God. He knows it's in the heart. Verse 7, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. You see, he's crying out to God. And then in verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God. David knows that the heart is the issue. And so he asks God to create that in him. So very consistent with all that the Bible teaches us. The Bible begins with telling us that God is a creator and there is nothing made except for everything that came from God. John chapter 1 brings this up and says that all things were made through Him. Without Him, there was not anything made. Nothing. He is creator. And it is also true for any and everything that is truly religious and spiritual. God must do it. 
David is at a low point here. He knows the mercy of God. He knows that he's done it. And that is not enough. He cries out to God for God to be a creator in the heart now. We don't need another planet. We don't need more trees. We don't need sun. We don't need that creation anymore. I need a powerful work of God creation in my heart to clean me. Clean it up. I can't worship God with a dirty heart. I can't live the way I can to my children with a dirty heart. I cannot love my wife faithfully with a dirty heart. It cannot happen. We cannot be anything for the community. We can't help families. We can't help schools. We can't help neighborhoods with dirty hearts. They see it better than we do. We must have the Creator creating us a clean heart. And David knows this. He asks, Oh God, renew a right spirit within me. God, make me right. Make my heart right. He says, cast me not away from Your presence and take not Your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of Your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. David knows that God can turn his life back around and put him on the right path and bring him back to fellowship with God. David knows that the mercy of God is so good that he can fall that low and still get back up. If you're here today and you fell in low, you're convicted of your sins, you are broken right now. The devil wants you to think you're done. But the good news of God tells us that the joy of your salvation can be right back. That a clean heart can't, is possible. That being in the presence of God can be happening just like that. That walking in the Holy Spirit is possible. That God upholding you with a willing spirit is just a repentant heart away for anybody who is dead and lost in their sins. If you're here today knowing that there's sin in your heart, if you will turn to, turn to God, repent of your sins, believe in Christ, God will restore all of that. Church isn't for people that don't have sins. Church is for people who are broken and forgiven of their sins. If we're hoping that everybody here today is all clean, nobody messed up last night, then we are kidding ourselves. But if we are a people of God who believe the truth of the Word of God, we know that y'all have messed up. Y'all know that I've messed up. But the grace of God is our definition. The grace of God is our identity. And so we will forgive each other and be forgiven by God. And the grace of God upholds us. Sinner, today you should be upheld by Him in the joy of your salvation, with the Holy Spirit, in the presence of God, with the right spirit and with the clean heart because... You are asking Him to forgive you. Holding tight to God as a forgiving God. Spurgeon goes on, and this is profound. Listen. He says, it's not the punishment that David cries out against, but the sin. You've probably never thought on this level before. David's not worried about the punishment. David's worried about the sin. Listen. He says, Many a murderer is more alarmed at the gallows than at the murder which brought him to it. What a horrible thought, right? The thief loves the plunder, though he fears the prison. Not so, David. David is sick of sin as sin. His loudest outcries are against the evil of his own transgression not against the painful consequences of it. 
You often hear that real men will deal with the consequences. Real Christians will deal with the consequences knowing they are right with God. Fake Christians, therefore not real Christians, will run from the consequences and therefore never find God. David was sick of sin as sin. His loudest outcries are against the evil of his transgression, not against the painful consequences of it. When we deal seriously with our sin, God will deal gently with us. When we hate what the Lord hates, He will soon make an end of it to our joy and peace. The first person impacted by our sins is us. The second person impacted by our sins is God. They are against us. Him. We need Him to forgive us. Then lastly, number three, the third person impacted by our sin is everybody else. There's a ripple effect to sin. Had somebody this week at the brand new Fairdale Pizza and Pub, which I love, Tell somebody in our church they didn't know if they could come to our church because they heard about this sin that was a long time ago. Ripple effects are real. People are affected by our sins. If everybody in the community thinks that I'm a jerk, nobody wants to come and hear a jerk preach. Y'all need to help me be less of a jerk. If your kids think that you are judgmental, legalistic to them, that you're looking down upon them, then no wonder they don't want to be like you in your faith journey, in your walk with Christ. If your church tells people that they have to do this or have to do that in order to come here, no wonder they don't want to come with you. If you act like you're better than people, no wonder you don't have many friends. See, the ripple effect of sin impacts people. But I've just laid out for you here today the negative consequences. David goes to the good consequences of sin in his life when it's met with repentance. I would imagine that most real Christians don't even have a category yet in their church experience for that one. A good, fruitful reaction to sin in the church? Amen. Repentance. Acceptance. Forgiveness. Restoration. Look what David says at verse 13. When God forgives him and restores him and creates in him a clean heart, look what he says in verse 13. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Man, when people see how messed up my heart is and see how God dealt with me in mercy, they're going to want that mercy too. When people know about all that I just did with Bathsheba and her husband Uriah the Hittite and, and all of that, and then they see how you deal with me, God, rich in mercy, washing me clean, purging my sinfulness, they're going to say, 
I've done sins too. I'm not the only person around here that's committed adultery. I'm not the only person around here that slanders people and gossips. I'm not the only person around here that thinks that I'm better than everybody else. And God, when they see how you've dealt with me, they're going to want it too. What a category. What a God. What a ministry. What a church. David is the king of Israel, has done the worst thing ever in many ways, one would think. And yet his view of God, rather his understanding of God, and now his faith in God, has God as so awesome at dealing with people that when God does the miraculous, saving, gracious, forgiving, new heart work in somebody, it will be good for everybody else. Amen. Amen. Church, when you sin this week, and your co-workers and neighbors and people know about it, don't act like it ain't nothing but a thing. Repent. Apologize. Be humbled. Be broken. Live out the character of God toward you in your sins. And people will notice. People will notice. Our sin impacts ourselves, it impacts God, and it impacts those around us. If you look down now to verse 16, David gives now the heart of his response. He says, you will not delight in sacrifice, God, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. David is saying that, God, if there was something I could do, believe me, I'd do it. If I could go confess it to the, to the priest and be right with you, I'd do it. But that don't work. I've sinned against you, God. I've got to deal with you. If I could go and give a big offering to the church and show that I'm mindful of it, then I'd do that. But listen, God ain't impressed with our dollars, not one bit. If I could go and love my wife and spend the next 10 years being faithful, then I'd do that. I'd, 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 I'd turn the ship around. That ain't it. That's what he says there in verse 16. You won't delight in sacrifice, or I would. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. There's nothing he can do. Now look at verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. Folks, God wants us inside to be humbled before Him, saying, God, forgive me. God, I sinned against You. God, I'm doing things I shouldn't do. And it's evil in Your eyes. And I know that Jesus died for me. I know that the blood of Christ washes away my sins. God, would you forgive me? God wants us there. And when He's there, He will use us. And when we're there, when we're there, He will use us. And when we're there, we are saved. And when we're there, we are safe. And when we're there, we are on our way to heaven. And when we're there, we are at our best. 
little illustration to close. I use this in all of the discipleship that we do to model what it means to have a heart that's right before God. I'm holding a quarter here. 25 cent piece. George Washington on the front. This one is a state of Delaware on the back. There's two sides to every coin, right? Everybody knows that. Two sides to every coin. There are two sides to every Christian. One side, they believe in Jesus. They know who He is. They believe He died on the cross for them. All that. But there's another side. That's not the only side. The other side is that they have a heart of Psalm 51. They are repentant of their sins. If I set this quarter down right here, and it was a fake quarter. Now this is a real quarter. But it was a fake quarter. And on the other side, it was just blank. Or it had a picture of Obama or a picture of, of something like that. That's not a dig on Obama. It's just a quarter with nothing that's supposed to be on the other side on the other side, like a state. And you came up, and I said, what is that? You would say, that's oh, a quarter. I'd say, how do you know? I'd say, well, it's the size of a quarter. It's the color of a quarter. It's got all the things that a quarter has on it. That's a quarter. I could say, don't be so sure. You haven't seen both sides. Hey, when you get up there and get baptized like Caleb and John did today, you say, I believe Jesus is Lord. You come to church on a Sunday. I'm only seeing one side. We're only seeing one side. There are two sides to a real Christian. One, faith in Christ. Flip us over. Psalm 51. Repentant hearts before God. Church, let's be the real thing. Create in us, O oh God, that this place and we people would be right in our hearts. Broken over our sins. Repentant you're here today and you've never gone public with that, do it. Walk forward here in just a minute and believe in Christ and be saved. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Psalm 51.